Hey, everybody, just a heads up. We'll be mentioning self-harm and suicide in this episode. I just wanted to let you know. Before I got my methadone in the morning, I'd get up and run 5K and get to the methadone clinic all sweaty and, like, in my jogging stuff, and they'd be like, who the fuck is this chick? Like, she's coming to get methadone, but she just went for a morning run? Like, <laughs> right? Is that not normal? I've never been to... No, it is not. It is not normal. I'm Garth Mullins. This is Crackdown. Episode 13, Somebody Else's Problem. There's places in North America where conservatives are shutting down safe injection sites or trying to prevent new ones from opening. And these same politicians often say, we need recovery, not harm reduction. First of all, fuck that. We do need harm reduction. And second of all, what do they even mean when they say recovery? What do they actually picture? I've sometimes thought of recovery like another planet, a kind of dope fiend's dream. I imagine there's a place with clean sheets and clean food, and I'd go there and be born again clean too. But in reality, it's not like that. On this month's episode, we're going to show you what recovery actually looks like around here. It isn't a story about the worst of the worst recovery houses. It's a story of one person's journey through a broken system and one family trying to hold themselves together. We're pretty close. Keep going? Yeah. We're driving through Chilliwack with Tannis Rose. I met Tannis at a drug user meeting last year. I told her Crackdown wanted to do an episode about recovery, and she said she had a hell of a story to tell us. And if we wanted to hear it, we should probably talk to her family as well. This is your house? This is my parents' house. My Tell family's us what we're property. Seeing. So we're going up a little driveway, steep, and there's a little cow pasture on the right. Um, the house right in front of us is my grandparents' carriage home. And then our house is up here to the right. So you can park. Oh, there's Roger on the tractor. <laughs> you can park in behind my mom's truck there, the tundra. Tannis' family owns these two houses, as well as the acreage they sit on. There's frogs, mountains, and at night the stars shine a lot brighter than they do in the city. It's a decent two-hour hike to the nearest bus stop. As we park the car, Tannis tells us she hasn't been back for a couple months. Okay, Hi! Hi, yeah. Welcome home. Nice hey. to meet you. Nice to meet you, wow. too. Come on in. Leave Thank your shoes you. on. You sure? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. It's like slating in the movies, you know, where they go... Should we get everyone to just introduce themselves for the tape, Sam? Do you think that's a good way to start? Yes. Okay. Uh, my name is Jill. I'm the mom in this story. And I'm Roger. I have been Tannis' stepfather for 15 years. And we've, we've had you introduce yourself already. Yes, probably I'm Tannis. <laughs> I'm kind of the star of the show. No. <laughs> <laughs> um, Tannis has probably told you she has three stepsisters and a sister. So at one point we had five teenage girls in the house. So things were a little crazy. So she played a lot of sports. She was active and 
popular. So would you go cheer? Absolutely. So it's a Saturday morning. You're like putting sandwiches in a yeah, cooler? Yeah, sandwiches in the cooler, coffee in the thermos, dog in the back seat. You get to Richmond, you unload the, the thermos of coffee in your lawn chair, you plant yourself on the sidelines and you watch. What are you seeing? I'm seeing Tannis out running around. She was athletic. She was an achiever, but she was a fireball out there too. She made things happen and she had a bit of a short temper. What is that? You were just making a face there, Tannis. What does that face mean? I got in trouble at a lot in a lot of sports, like especially coming up to um to to when I started using started partying. I got kicked out of my soccer league in grade ten. And we figured, well, you know, they are all gonna try smoking pot or they're all gonna go to the grad parties or whatever and um didn't really have any idea where we were headed. When Tana starts high school, she gets more and more into partying. She says she meets a new group of friends, and they like to set bonfires and get drunk at bush parties. Do you remember how the relationship with your mom kind of changed around that time? Um, definitely. I think I started to scare the shit out of her, (laughs) right? Because I would, um, I don't know. I got a little punk with my clothes. I definitely started cutting around then too. So I would always have like, you know, the punky little wristbands on. And like, honestly, I had an exacto knife like stashed in part of my mattress from very young. And I would just do it before I went to bed. Like that's how I brought myself down to get to sleep. We couldn't figure out, we didn't know what to do, you know, none of that counseling stuff worked, none of our mishmash of parenting skills were helping. I mean, I remember standing, sitting out that door and Jill, you know, Tannis had done something, Jill was going to call the cops and I'm going, hang on, don't call the cops. She goes in the door and slams the door and I stood outside the door for an hour and every 10 or 15 minutes, Tan, you want to talk? Tan, you want to talk? Finally, she opened the door, let me in. I just gave her a hug. said, it's okay. Like, we love you, right? Remember? And, um, yeah, we just wanted Tannis to be safe and healthy. And it's fucking hard. Anyway. The family hoped this was all just regular teenager stuff. But it didn't go away. One day when Tannis is 20, she crashes a car and is found to be at fault. The court orders a forensic psych evaluation and she's diagnosed with borderline personality disorder. Didn't know what to think, but of course right away you start doing some research. I got a book about borderline personality disorder and by the time I got to the first chapter, I remember thinking, this book was written about Tannis. There's these nine characteristics, nine definable aspects of it. I think you have to have five, you have to have five out of nine of them to be have a diagnosis. Unclear self-image, impulsive self-destructive behaviors, self-harm and suicidal tendencies, emotional mood swings, um, out of touch with reality. And they were like, wow, like you have all nine characteristics like you're a full nine and I remember there being other counselors in the office being like oh my gosh you have a full nine like I'd like to pick her brain sometimes because we've never had a full nine in here so I'm like poster child (laughs) and that's when I finally thought well you know now we know what we're shooting at 
So it was actually kind of a, like a hopeful thing to have the diagnosis. At the time, yes, it was. But now try and find that kind of help. Jill and Roger are told that it's important to get Tannis into something called dialectical behavioral therapy, or DBT. But the waitlist for government-funded treatment was years long. And so the family found a private place in Vancouver instead, and they paid out of pocket. I mean, tens of thousands of dollars that we spent there because it was the only thing the professionals kept telling us. That is the only thing that's going to help. My drinking, everything was really, really out of control. I got into some criminal activity that year, a bunch of really heavy criminal activity that year. So what, what would that mean in practice? So I was bringing these loads, um, loads of drugs, truckloads of drugs. Truckloads? Did you drive the truck? Did you have a truck? I had a truck. But um, so it had like a roll top cover on it. And there would be like a kilo of meth, a kilo of heroin, kilos of coke. So like we're looking at like easily half a million dollars of product each run. And you drive from Vancouver to... Edmonton. Right. Yes. Tannis gets away with this for a while, until she's busted. And then her life becomes an ocean of legal proceedings, cops, parole, and curfew. To tell the truth, Tannis' life just kind of goes to shit. Her dad dies, her boyfriend's arrested, and she stops seeing any kind of future for herself. And all of this makes her borderline and self-harm get worse. The only thing that seems to help is dope. I don't know. I could say that it was a mood stabilizer, and it was a mood stabilizer while I had it, and then when it was gone, it, it made everything ten times worse. We, we got some people on the editorial board who just straight up say heroin saved their life, like they would have actually I, gone through with it if not. I would have been dead for sure. For so is that something that you guys all think, that, that drug use was self-medicating for mental illness stuff? Absolutely. Yeah. 100%. Yeah. I remember Roger and I were at a funeral in Vancouver for one of his uh, university buddies. And we were leaving to come home. She needed help. Mom, I need help. I can't do this anymore. I need help. And she had a plan. What was the plan? I wanted to, I wanted to get off. Like, I'd only been using heroin fentanyl for a few months yeah and then all hell broke goose i was soaking through three layers of bedding within half an hour she was calling for help she was shaking she couldn't she couldn't get up to get into the bathroom by herself and then finally i was like so sick of being on that bed that i was curled up in a ball on the ground and she was spoon feeding me chicken noodle soup yeah I actually, at one point, I was just like, that's it. Like, I have to call 911. And she just said, like, you can't, you can't, you can't, because she was on probation. I'll go to jail. So I had to decide, like, okay, at what point do I call 911? Or it was, that was hellish. It was way beyond our ability. We were exhausted. Like, we've, we've you know literally felt like prisoners a lot of the time. The last time we kicked her out of the house, we said never, never, never again is she coming back to live in this house. Over the next couple of years, everything with Tannis and her family gets tense and distant. They only see each other on the holidays. But Jill still worries, and so she texts a lot. Then on Canada Day 2018, the family goes off to celebrate Tannis' grandma's birthday. 
Tannis can't come because it would violate her court-ordered curfew. I was using fentanyl at this point, right? Street fentanyl. It could have had absolutely anything in it for all we know, right? It was a funny color now that I like recollect back to it. Like it was like this weird turquoise color or something. And so this, that night when I got home, you know, I, I had my, my shower and I was laying in bed and I, my paranoia went through the roof. I could not sleep. I tried another hoot. I could not sleep. It got worse. I tried another hoot. She wasn't picking up the phone. Something just, my gut was just telling me something feels really wrong about this. And so Jill drives to Tannis's apartment in Abbotsford. She brings along her stepmom, Sue. And when they open Tannis's door, Jill gets a sinking feeling. Oh, I, I still remember uh, going in and the bathroom door was locked, but the water was running. No response. So the landlord had to go and get some tools to open the door. And that was the longest five minutes of my life. Jill finds Tannis awake, but not speaking. It's clear she's exhausted, distraught, and trying to kill herself. And so Jill calls 911, and they take Tannis off to the psych ward. So then they put me in, like, a concrete cell. And it's just like a white concrete cell, like an, with a camera, like a, like a jail cell, and just a shitty little mattress on the floor. It was just awful. Like they took my clothes away, they take the blanket away. And what do you got on? Like you got nothing on? Yeah, you're naked. They did finally, after like hours and hours of me like fighting with myself, they came in, and I remember it specifically because it's like trauma. It's like a trauma dream for me still, and it was like four fully grown men in their white suits to like hold me down and do like the Haldol injection in your butt. It's like me screaming and writhing and having them just like, right? Inject you with some weird fucking, yeah. No, and, I definitely. And what happened next after, after they did that? I finally was out. For this is coming off like four years of daily use with like nothing in between and a ton of methadone. Not to mention at this point, I was really overprescribed on a ton of pharmaceuticals too. So like, yeah, I'm coming off straight fentanyl, I'm coming off methadone, I'm coming off gabapentin, zoflacone, clonidine, lithium, and Ativan too. Okay, so that's like a detox of all of those things at once. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> yeah, super gnarly. Tannis detoxes at the hospital, and when all that shit's out of her system, they ask her if she wants to get on Suboxone. And that's a pretty big decision. Suboxone is a bit like methadone. It's meant to substitute for fentanyl, heroin, or whatever. And if you're on it, it's way harder to get high. But Tannis decides she wants to give Suboxone a try. I'm like six days clean for the first time in 15 years, right? I was like ready to live and I was like ready to do things differently and like not be in this little shithole in Abbotsford and like, you know, not be like around these people I couldn't trust and like what's the point in being living that way, right? This felt different this time. It was like she was done with it, the drugs, the life. She wanted to fight her way out. So we decided, well, you're not going back to live in that apartment in Abbotsford. Like there's no way. And so the family starts looking for somewhere else. And the hospital's social workers recommended Hartwood. 
Hartwood is one of only a very small number of facilities in all of Canada that deliver mental health care and addiction recovery in the same place. So the family filled out all the forms and they applied for some funding. We got um, an email response from the Hartwood team. They had looked at the application and they did not think Tannis was a good candidate. The intake committee said before they'd even consider sending Tannis there, she had to complete a 90-day program at a stabilization and transitional living residence. Those are places that just do recovery, not mental health stuff. So that's when we kind of threw up our hands and said, well, where do we look? You don't get that information. You're out the door. Figure it out yourself. Well, wait a minute. I'm an addicted, mentally ill person. Well, that's not my problem. Somebody else's problem, right? That's the reality. And so Jill decides, screw this. Let's just take care of Tannis at home. I'm keeping you here in the forest with me, and we'll hike and do lots of yoga and feed you properly, and you will not go back to using drugs. Mm -hmm. That was our plan. There was lots of work to do around the house that summer. Tannis's grandma had just had a hip replacement, and she needed help with physiotherapy, and Tannis's sister was marrying an Irish guy. So there was a lot of out-of-town guests to take care of, too. So I think my mom was happy to kind of have the help with, like, cleaning extra laundry, extra food, you know, like, helping out, like, all that type of stuff. So I kind of did kind of have, like, a little part-time job at our house with the wedding guests. (laughs) Yeah, we were sticking to the plan. Tannis was up and at them in the morning. She was, you know, coming for the morning walk that we go on with me. You know, my mom and I would go to yoga down the road, and we would take the dogs for a walk. we sit in the garden. We were going to mix DBT in there. I was on Suboxone, so I was giving clean urine for the first time ever, right? Like, so I'm building that accountability with my new Suboxone doctor. I remember the day, too, that we went shopping to find you an outfit for the wedding. That was kind of fun. It was just a nice day. Like I said, it was just nice, normal stuff that mothers and daughters do together that Tanis and I had not had much of a chance to do together because of you know, this other life she'd been living. As the wedding approaches, Jill starts to get a little anxious. She knows she's going to have a lot to do that day, and she won't have time to look out for Tannis. But she also knows the wedding could be rough. You know, one of the things that's been really tough for all of us over the years is, you know, you get together, we say, how are the girls? What's everybody doing? Who's living where? What's Tannis doing now, everybody? So it was like over and over. So there were so many social situations where I'd just be like, I don't want to go. I don't want people asking me. My like, I'm well, just do you remember we were lying. trying to script things? And what was the script? What'd you come up with? Yeah, um, like I was like, what do I say when people are like, what you been up to lately? And I'm like, oh, you know, I tried to kill myself, overdosed a couple times. Like we were trying. What were you trying to say? Well, I just moved back to mom's, and you know, I'm just trying to. Get, I'm between job. Like we were just trying to make something up that wasn't necessarily a lie, so that it was easy to remember. And that made sense. Yeah, we we did that. We've done that a lot. Um. So yeah. so what happens at the wedding? Well, it started when we when we were getting ready for the wedding. Tana shows up with her sister, Ugh. and Jess is already ticked because she knows Tannis has been using.
Tana spends a lot of the wedding in a hotel room smoking down. She misses dinner entirely, and she knows that looks pretty dodgy. So right away, I go into all of the dark places I go into. But but what are you supposed to do? You're right in the middle of this show. Everything has to be happening on time. Roger's, you know, he's doing all these father of the bride things. I'm over here, and we're trying to have a really good time. And what do you do? I just knew that she was getting picked up by her stepmom within a few hours. So just ride the wave and figure it out later. The next day, Tannis decides to put the night behind her. She goes back to waking up early for the morning walks, doing her grandma's physio, and taking Suboxone. And all of this just leaves Jill confused. She starts to think, maybe Tannis didn't even use at the wedding. Maybe it was one of the borderline reactions to maybe somebody said something to her. Maybe it was just the stress of being in the crowd. Maybe somebody had asked her something she didn't know how to answer. Maybe it was just overwhelming you know, maybe I had the mom blinders on or whatever it was. I, I, but you know, other people probably saw things that I didn't see. Like I'm, I'm sneaky as fuck. Like my mom could go in for a Starbucks and I could be meeting someone for dope and like be back in the truck before her when she gets her coffee, you know? So that was, you know, every few weeks I would maybe do that on a Tuesday and use Tuesday, Wednesday, usually my Wednesday when I would come into Vancouver here, I'd have the day going to DBT, getting therapy, but I had the day to myself downtown. So I'd, you know, have my job. I'd still go to the gym and shit. Like I'm such a fucking weird drug addict. I'd be like going on the fucking stair climber in the sauna and shit, but I'm like high. Tana says she was just using dope here and there. She calls that speckly use. But one day she ODs at home. Luckily her friend has Narcan and brings her back. Just remember that next time someone tells you we need recovery instead of harm reduction. Anyway, Tannis' drug use gets less and less speckly until it's impossible to hide. That January, February, March period was a blur and I kept thinking, wait, we're going to get back on the horse. We got to get back on the horse. And we were just like, we don't even know what we're doing here anymore. And it was time to find your own place to live. Family is like at the core of my values. And like at this point, it's like my mom doesn't want anything to do with me. She's sick of me. Like we're getting in fights. Like she's throwing shit. Like she fucking pulled something off my wall one day and like tossed it. Like and I'd never seen her like so aggressive before. Like she's getting at the end of her rope. I had no nowhere to go. I had no choice, really. Like, I just wasn't comfortable. I didn't want to end up in a shelter. <laughs> I don't know if it's just like posh of me to say, but like, I just, I don't think I could do that. Like, I'd rather be dead than just like, I don't know, homeless in the street. I, I don't think it's posh to say <laughs> you don't want to be dope sick and cold and wet all at the same time. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Tannis didn't have a lot of options. And so she decided to do something that she'd been avoiding for years check herself into a residential recovery home. Tannis finally wanted to do it. That was pretty frickin' cool, I'd have to say. Like, wow, finally, something. Some policy wonks like to talk about low-threshold programs. That means they're easier for us to get into, even if we're still using or dope-sick. This is the opposite. It takes Tannis months to navigate the recovery bureaucracy. First, she has to fill out a long form. She writes down when she first smoked weed. How much? How often? She has to do the same thing for benzos, amphetamines, hallucinogens, heroin. 
She waits a month for the form to be processed. Then Tannis is placed on a wait list for one recovery home. They recommend she calls every single morning to see if a bed is opened up. And they warn her, if she doesn't call frequently enough, she can be booted to the back of the list. So Tannis makes the call every day, sometimes dope sick. And after two months, she's told she can get into a place called Phoenix Center. I, I remember driving there that morning just feeling like... You know, it was new territory. How is this going to go? Is we're it gonna going last? to Central Surrey. We didn't know what the place was even going to look like. And we got there and we're like, thank God. It's like actually a really nice facility, right? And, and when you got to Phoenix, do you guys, did you say goodbye? Have a little hug? Like have a little cry? What was, yeah, what happened? Some, all of, all of the above. Mm-hmm. So there's an office where she had to check in her phone and, and then the gal said, she said, well, you don't need to hang around here. I was like, oh. Okay, and I drove away, and it was... What did the drive feel like? It felt... I was just anxious, apprehensive, like, is she going to stay? Is she going to blow out the door? I, I had no idea how it was going to go. What What is your goal? Like, after... Like, like, what, like what is it all building towards? Like... Um... Housing. Yeah. Independence. Not living with my mom, being financially dependent on my mom. Tannis is in what's called a stabilization bed. This is just a holding place until she can get into phase one. Phase one houses tend to run 90-day programs. It's a place where you're sent when you're freshly detoxed. If Tannis can graduate from phase one, she can do another 90-day program. This is phase two. Eventually, Tannis is told, this will lead to some kind of housing. It'll be worth it. At Phoenix, you kind of like get your own little bachelor suite and it's in like a new condo building. It's actually like really nice. And there's cameras and it's like pretty good security and everything's kind of right there. It seems like a big part of what Phoenix does is just keep everybody busy. But this works for Tannis. She's the kind of person who likes to hit the stair climber while she's high. And I was working my little butt off, like I really was. I'd never missed a minute of structure. I'm in group, I'm at group on time, I'm doing my chores on time, and like going to the gym and going to all the yoga. And like, if you had to go to five meetings a day or a week, I was at seven meetings a week, just like immersing myself, really. I asked Tannis what they actually did at these meetings. She said Phoenix had something called smart recovery. It's based on cognitive behavioral therapy. And they also have a Buddhist recovery program called Refuge. And of course, there's 12-step. The evidence base for 12-step is pretty sketchy, but nevertheless, it's the backbone of recovery pretty much everywhere. And this is Tannis's first exposure to these ideas. Remember I started writing out the 12 steps, like to try to memorize them. So I would like write them out once a day and like you know, just. Can you remember them now? Yeah. Can you give us a few? <laughs> Admitted we were powerless over addiction and that our lives had become unmanageable. Came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. Made the decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood Him. They, they took her phone. So did, how? When did you hear from her next? Uh, you you guys not, couldn't really text. You text a lot. No, right? we. Sh- I didn't hear anything for her for a week or ten days or so, and then she got a hold of us just to say these are the visiting hours. You can come and visit. So we did one day, and things were, things were great. She was pumped. She was loving it. She was on. 
Were you guys able to relax now? You've got kind of got some time off from this extremely stressful parenting situation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know what? It, that is absolutely true. You know, we we kind of got to a point where, well, we can't go away on holiday together. Somebody's got to be here. But now that Tana seemed safe and sound at Phoenix, Jill and Roger tell her they're thinking of getting away for a bit, for a road trip through the Kootenays. She says, don't be stupid. Go. Like, I'm I'm good. Like, I was, like, really fresh, right? Like, this is my first time ever in a treatment center, um, ever living on, like, a floor with some with the girls. And, like, all the girls were pretty fresh, too. And I think I described my time at Phoenix as I was still claws out. <laughs> like, very claws out. Yeah, this one girl, we did not get along, like, from the start. And it was just, like, frustrating. And I think after one group, I, I don't think I know, after one group, I left... I like walked out of the group therapy room and I threw my Starbucks like a whole, like the whole length of the hallway. And one of the girls had just like stepped out of her room. So it kind of appeared like I'd thrown it at her, but she like stepped out after I threw it. And like it, no, it didn't hit her. Staff was kind of like, oh shit, did you do that? Like, let's clean it up kind of thing, right? Tannis has been at Phoenix for about 10 days. She likes it. She even asks if she can do her full 90 days here. But then she learns that another bed is ready for her at a place called Westminster House. What are you looking up there? Well, I'm, I don't know. Like, I have it exactly, like, minute for minute, day for day, like, what happened when I got, when I left Phoenix and when I got to New West. See, like, right here, June 26, woke up early, getting moved to New West tomorrow in, like, massive capitals. <laughs> Tannis gets moved to Westminster House, but she says someone fucked up transferring her meds, and that means she's going without Seroquel for the first time in years. When Tannis gets to the house, the staff take her phone. They tell her she's not allowed to make any calls for the first couple of weeks. The idea is to sever connections with your old life. Westminster also had some rules. There's a dress code. It says, quote, undergarments, midriffs, and lower backs are not to be exposed. Those are the official rules. But Tana says there's some unofficial ones too. I told a couple of the girls, yeah, my boyfriend's in prison. And they're like, oh, they'll make you break up with him. <laughs> like, they'll make me break up. Yeah, like, they'll sit you down on a phone call and make you break up with him. And I was like, or not. I talked to girls who were there who had, you know, boyfriends that were maybe that they dealt together or used together or whatever. And, like, they were forced to sit down with their counselor, call this person and break up with them. Tannis isn't thrilled about any of this, but she resolves to just keep her head down and focus on recovery. And Westminster is old school. There's no Buddhist program here. 12 step or nothing. You go to two 12 step meetings a day, seven days a week. The whole time I was like, I wanna go back to Phoenix. Like I'm applying to go back to Phoenix. I probably won't be here very long because my, my application's gonna go through to go back to Phoenix. Like that's where my head was. I don't know, I was complaining a lot. I think I was like trying to nap one afternoon. I have I get migraines and um, where my bedroom was at Westminster House, it was like right by the laundry. So like the girls would come down and like blah, 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 blah. So I think like I had come out of my bedroom and I asked people to like politely, like, can you guys please be quiet or like go outside or like, I don't know, go upstairs. And like then I guess another group of girls would come down and I'd like got just gotten up and slammed my door. So the counselor had come in and been like, what was that about kind of thing. Tannis can tell she's on thin ice. 
and she still doesn't have her Seroquel. That means a lot of anxiety and insomnia. But she does start to warm up to some of her roommates. They play volleyball down at the pier. And one day, it was just too hot to follow the dress code. So I was wearing like little Lululemon shorts and we were wearing our sports bras. I guess, and another thing too is in the summer, I've got tattoos under my butt. So like if I wear shorts, they show. So like I had to wear like long board shorts or like, like capri pants. Because so you're not allowed to my sh- tattoos. I don't know. I think I just like stand out more if I have short shorts on. So there's tattoos. Are you allowed to not show tattoos? Well, you're allowed to show tattoos, but I don't think if they like show off your butt, <laughs> then like, probably not. Right. Yeah. And we got in trouble for like breaking dress code outside. Maybe it's the sports bra. Maybe it's the boyfriend in jail. Tannis isn't exactly sure. But she says the counselors told her, you seem to have a problem here and they put her on what they call a male boundary exercise. The residents just call it a man ban. We've decided as a collective that we're gonna put you on male boundary exercise for the foreseeable future. And they literally tell you like, if someone tries to talk to you to shield your eyes and walk the other direction, like not even if somebody says, hey, good morning, how's it going? Like you're not even supposed to say, oh, I'm okay. Like you do not talk to them. You do not make eye contact with them. Like it's bizarre. So I feel like like, they should have had, like, those handmaid's tail things on, you know? <sighs> the hat. The That's ca- what I felt the like cowl, it should have been the little, like. It's uh... like, if you're going to do this, then put that on or something. Because I felt rude a couple times. And I had guys, like, ask the other girls, like, is she mad at me? Like, what did I do? Or something like that, right? Because I, like, would, like, completely avoid them, like, the plague or, like... Yeah, just someone would put their hand out to shake my hand. Oh, hey, I've, I think you're new. Like, what's up? And I'd kind of turn around and walk the other direction. And it's like, because at this point, I didn't want to get kicked out, right? But it's not easy to avoid guys. There's a men's house just down the road. And the women at Westminster sometimes go to meetings with them. One of the guys took a 30-day um, fob in the morning. And I remember hugging him and then, like, being like, oh, shit, right? I kind of, like felt eyes on the back of my neck or something like that and was like oh crap and I I think one of the other girls probably told on me the counselor's like um you know we're we're gonna um have you leave or like we're I don't know, can you call someone to come get you? We're going to discharge you at this point. And I was kind of like starting to art, like be like, really? Like, I really don't want to go. And they're like, well, yeah, we, we think you do want to go. Like, we, th- we don't think you like it here. And I was like, well, I am starting to like it here. Like, I really am starting to get to know the girls. And they're like, no, yeah, there's no point in arguing because we've already made the decision, <laughs> right? And so um, they're like, so you need to find someone to come get you and come pick you up. <laughs> Tannis calls her mom and Roger but they're still on the road, not in cell reception, so they can't get her. Tana said she told Westminster staff that she had nowhere to go, but they seemed unmoved. Yeah, I didn't didn't know what the fuck I was gonna do. I just kind of broke down and then they pretty much like got me my suitcases and like got me to start packing. I have this big suitcase and I'm standing outside one of their houses on the side of the road like an idiot. <laughs> like I felt like such an idiot and like the girls were like coming back from group and like what's going on and they weren't allowed to talk to me and like I had to shield their eyes because I was like the outcast. <laughs> they weren't allowed to talk to you? No, no. Like so if you get kicked out you're not? You are exiled. Thank 
they because they do they kick you out on the curb with your suitcase and hand you a narcan kit bye <laughs> i'm glad westminster gave tanis a narcan kit but they also put her into a precarious position this kind of eviction is very dangerous for drug users. Our chances of fatally overdosing go up significantly right after we get discharged from recovery, detox, or jail. We asked Westminster House about this. They told us they couldn't talk about specific residents, but they also said, quote, it's the client's responsibility to have an early exit plan that is able to be used should something unexpected happen that results in early discharge. Westminster House did not answer our questions about the man ban. We looked into it, and the government does give recovery homes a lot of discretion about kicking people out. The government also lets these recovery homes run basically any kind of addiction program. There's no requirement that the house is run by people with professional experience or accreditation in addictions care. Basically, like, the main problem I've encountered is like, you have an attitude problem. It's like, no, no shit, I have an attitude problem. I've been a criminal for the last 15 years and I've been on drugs. Like, yeah, I have an attitude problem. I just got, I'm, I'm 20 days clean. Like, what do you mean I have an attitude problem? Like, no shit. I, I honestly don't know that many people in the world that could follow all the rules that you've laid out anyway. Mm -hmm. Substance use or mental health issues aside, you know? Oh yeah, yeah, it's a lot. How many days are we, like, in the clean day count at this point, probably? I'm at, like, 21 days or something, right? Like, I did, like, 10 days at Phoenix and, like, 11 days at Westie. Statistically, I should have relapsed the day that Westminster kicked me out, yeah. But you didn't? No. Do you have a theory of why not? Spite, probably. Yeah, for sure. A couple of weeks later, I went and took my 30 days, like, at a meeting that I knew all the Westminster House people would be at. Because I stayed clean and I was like, There's, I'm going to rub it in their face. Eventually, Tannis gets herself into a different recovery home. This time, it's a fancy one on Vancouver Island. But it's the same old story. She does well at first, and then one day gets into a fight with a doctor, swears at him, and slams a door. And so, Tannis hasn't used drugs in a hundred days, but she's right back where she started, at Roger and Jill's. My mom and I had to go run into town for some groceries. You know, down to the pharmacy, pick up the prescription. I start asking some questions about what had happened, and we got into a battle. One of the things she said was, like, you just invited yourself back to our house again, right? Where it was kind of like, oh, yeah, I did. You're right. It's like, is this ever going to end? Like, there are not very many of these publicly funded beds. You're being given a chance like you're not entitled to this this is a a gift i think i was just fucking exhausted and like 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 at the hamster wheel thing right like the repetition like this is like hopeless like ridiculous like i got angrier than i probably should have but once in a while along this path i deserve to be angry about some things and it was like at this point it was like that i call it like the I had like it's like I had a two gone and it got like pulled over my eyes. It was like I had already relapsed before I got on the bus. I thought she'd gone across the street to get a something at Tim Hortons, and when I came back with my basket of groceries, by then the bus had already come and got you. Yeah, yeah, I was gone. 
And I was just like not answering my phone. I was like, fine. And I drove home. She was vibrating when she came back in the house from that episode. I remember it well. Like, yeah, that really shook you to the core. Jill's been here before. But this time, she doesn't jump in the car and go search for her daughter. She just can't do it anymore. And neither can Tannis. Like, I just, like, knew the, where I was going. I knew what I was doing. Like, sort of borderline mode where it was like, I'm not really using because I'm craving drugs. I'm using because I want to die. I just picked up and then I went and used in, like, the mall bathroom. So, like, right? So I'm, like, fucking smoking as much as I can. I probably, like, not off in the bathroom for a little while. But, like, I was on, like, a total suicide mission. Tannis' story could have easily ended in that bathroom stall, but it didn't. She nods off for a while, and then she wakes up and heads back to Chilliwack. A lot of people in Tannis' life completely had to step away because it affected them to a point where they couldn't continue to deal with it. And I had people tell me I needed to step away, but I just couldn't I just always believe we had so many bright windows all along the way where I could see I could see my daughter in there it was like she was being held hostage and I was not going to give up because I wasn't prepared to lose that person out of my life I just couldn't I just couldn't do it and here we are that's beautiful you made everybody cry Over the past couple years, Tannis has tried everything the recovery industry threw at her. 12-step, Buddhist recovery, breathology, acupuncture, Reiki, energy work. She's super positive about all of it. But does this stuff work? I'm skeptical. It's something I want to look into on the show this year. Either way, Tannis has persevered. And she's now in a phase two recovery home. She's only allowed to live there for a few more months. And she's learned that there's no housing at the end of the rainbow. The wait list stretches on for years so she'll have to find a place on her own. Tannis is trying to do all of this without Suboxone. She stopped taking it a couple of months ago. And this worries me. Absence in the middle of an overdose crisis is dangerous. I've known too many people who go somewhere to clean up and wind up dead. So when people say, I have a loved one who's strung out, what do I do? I tell them, get them a script. Get them the closest pharmaceutical version of whatever they're wired to. But we're rooting for Tannis. And we know she has some advantages. A family with money to throw out the problem and the support of people like her stepmom Sue, her grandparents, her sisters, her cousins, her stepdad. And she's got her mom. So two Saturdays ago, um, we spent the day together. We went downtown on this on the sea bus and... It's a beautiful sunny day. We went to a meditation refuge Buddhist meeting together. We had a lot of really good, honest, open conversations about some of the shit that we've been through. And it was just, it was healing. I just, I just felt like I was in a movie. It was like, wow, this is, this is my real life now. This is, life is going to be good again. 
Here's one one scenario that fucking terrifies me that I don't know if I could do and not use. So, like, my dad's death was a huge, like, nosedive thing for me. And so I have four grandparents, like, very old, like, mid-80s. Like, so losing a family member again, that's where I don't fucking know. I don't know. I'm gobsmacked by Tannis' story. It shows just how profoundly rotten Canada's healthcare system is. There's something that Jill said to Tannis during that fight in the car. It's still ringing my head. You're not entitled to one of those publicly funded beds, she said. And goddamn, that's exactly how it feels. Like, if we can get into one of these places, it's some kind of special luxury privilege. But is it a privilege to have your appendix out? No, obviously not. Why is it always different for us? We live in a country where people pay out of pocket for mental health care. No money, too bad for you. And we leave it to the private sector to decide what kind of recovery programs we're going to get. The public pays for these homes, but the government does not require them to staff facilities with medical professionals or to base their programming on evidence or to collect statistics demonstrating any kind of success. I don't know how any of this can be considered health care. In Canada, we're supposed to have universal health care. But in the recovery world, it doesn't work that way. Businesses choose who they want to help and who gets kicked to the curb. Any politician that does a photo op at a recovery place, but refuses to build housing or opposes safe injection sites or won't provide mental health services, they use that photo op as a smokescreen as a fig leaf to cover their real interests in defending a profitable industry, not a public service. They are full of shit, and they don't care if we die. Here's in room tone. Oh yes, can we do room tone now? So, um, we'll just, everybody will be quiet for about 20 seconds and we're just gonna sit here. Uh, do you want me to switch the furnace off? Nope. Leave everything exactly as it is. Thanks. <laughs> All right. No, no time has gone okay. off the pot. Zero let's, seconds let's have gone off the pot. But let's kick Tannis out of the room. We're not, we're doing, we're not doing 20 Crackdown is produced on the territories of the Musqueam, Squamish, and Tsleil-Waututh nations. You can support us at patreon.com slash crackdownpod. This episode discussed suicide and self-harm. If you're struggling with thoughts of suicide or know someone who is, you can reach out for help at crisisservicescanada.ca. Our editorial board is Simona Marsh, Shelda Castor, Greg Fess, Jeff Loudon, Dean Wilson, Dave Murray, Al Fowler, Laura Shaver, and Sharice Kiwatton. It's been just over a year since we lost you. R.I.P. Sharice. Crackdown senior producer is Sam Fenn. Our producers are Lisa Hale and Alexander Kim. This month, we had production help from Alex DeBoer and Polly Legier. Our science advisor is Ryan McNeil, assistant professor and director of harm reduction research in the Yale School of Medicine. I'm Garth Mullins, host, writer, and executive producer. You can follow me on Twitter, at Garth Mullins. Original score written and performed by Sam Fenn, James Ash, and me. 
Our theme song was written by me and Sam with accompaniment from Dave Jens and Ben Abenheimer. We make this podcast with funds from the Canadian Institutes of Health Research and the Social Sciences and Humanities Research Council of Canada and from our Patreon supporters. Thank you. Follow us on Twitter at CrackdownPod. Our website is crackdownpod.com. New episodes drop on the last Wednesday of each month, mostly. Be safe. Keep six. Okay. 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 Ready? Set. Tana, you ready? I don't think she's ready. Okay, Tana's gonna leave. Okay. Um, I got lots. Good. Me too. Cool. You have been listening to a sided media production. C I D E D. Find out more at sidedmedia.ca.